Enterprise Management 360, your main source for tech news, analysis, podcasts, and videos for the enterprise. Hello and welcome to this EM360 podcast. My name is Susan Walsh, the fixer of dirty data and the host of this podcast. I'm the founder and MD of The Classification Guru, where I bring clarity and accuracy to data, helping teams work more efficiently and effectively and helping them enable better business decisions. In today's podcast, I'll be speaking with James Myers, Head of Martech Strategy at Action IQ. James and I are going to be discussing the data-driven revolution and its growing impact on customer experience, also known as CX, its journey and the data. So first of all, welcome, James. How are you? Doing great, Susan. Thank you for having me. Great. Thanks for coming on. I can't wait to have a discussion around this. Um, first of all, I really want to know, um, drawing on the the seven plus years of Action IQ's experience in, in this area, helping organizations become customer centric, how have you found that the data-driven revolution has changed customer experiences? You know, it's a great question. And if you, if you step back and think about it from a, a higher lens, we've seen an explosion in customer data. In fact, uh, a recent survey came out and said that data was going to 5x, so, so five times over by 2025. And what this means is that organizations have raised their expectations that employees will actually use this data, right? And, and leaders across marketing and service and uh, e-commerce are, are mandating that. Um, so um, let's unpack that just a, a little bit here, because I, I think the story is, is worth talking about. Um, because of the explosion of data across channels, whether it's on your website or whether it's on mobile apps or whether it is um, even uh, through loyalty programs and more, um, organizations are capturing a lot more data. Um, and, and leaders are hearing stories about their competitors using that data better than they are. Um, in fact, um, in today's kind of innovation-focused world, um, there's a lot of upstart new companies coming into the fray that are increasing the pressure on these uh, kind of stalwart organizations, you know, the blue-chip large organizations. And so what we're seeing is extra pressure. Uh, so, so leaders are watching their market share drop because of these new threats that are using the data better than they are. And so the result of it is this enormous commitment to uh, using data to create seamless experiences, not just in marketing and advertising, but across the full customer lifecycle. Um, and what that means is, is that from the point of acquisition and onboarding all the way past to support and cross-selling and upselling and, and managing that customer's experience, um, so there's there's not just a focus on marketing and advertising, but very much across all departments. And so data has forced this enterprise focus uh, to use it across the life cycle. And, and, and the benefit is where I'll stop. The benefit is just tremendous, right? So there's studies that continually prove that organizations that are customer-centric are 60%, 60 more profitable than those that are not. So, Susan, hopefully that helped. Uh, yeah, I'm, I was just going to, this, this might be a really silly question, but but how would you define customer-centric, just for anyone that's listening that might be new to this area? Mm. 
The shortest way I'll describe it is that every decision the company makes is towards the customer's benefit. And that's the, that's the opposite of the way organizations were typically incentivized. For example, you would see organizations that would uh, make their decisions based upon lines of business that they operated, or they would make their decisions based on pushing more product, um, or make decisions based on optimizing for a given channel, like email versus um, you know, a, a direct mail or the website or social media or uh, you name it. So customer-centric really means doing what, whatever is best for the customer to increase their satisfaction and loyalty to your brand. And just very quickly, touching on, on, on the, the data, how has the data changed? What do we have now that we didn't have, say, five, seven years ago? Hmm. Historically, organizations had uh, transaction data, right? So probably the easiest thing to track is when a customer uh, buys something because they're going to give you some identifier um, that helps track it. But but that's increased tremendously with loyalty programs and and the need to differentiate through that uh, that that desire for extra loyalty. Now the new data that has come beyond that is uh, largely coming from websites, mobile apps, because those uh, those channels have, have blossomed, particularly here in the pandemic. You know, I think the organizations have seen five years of transformation in, in you know, 12 to 18 months. Um, so, so the breadth of um, high velocity customer data on mobile apps and websites has probably been the biggest. Um, there's other ones that we could speak of, but I, I'll stop there and just say those are the, the noteworthy ones. Yeah, while you're telling me that, I'm I'm thinking of how the retail they say now the retailers know what we're going to buy before we even buy it, decide to buy it ourselves, and I'm guessing that that's the kind of data they're using to to generate these these things. Correct. It's it's not just high velocity data, but it's very very uh, informative, right? So you can glean intent from interactions that are occurring on your app and on your website and use that to inform predictive models, um, things that are propensity models, anything that would lead towards um, either a purchase or, or the steps that occur before the purchase, right? Um, some consideration yeah. steps. So very valuable data. But the problem is it's very, very, I don't want to say dirty is, is the right word, but Web data is very, very complex. And so siphoning through it and organizing it in a way that's usable has increased the pressure on organizations to have systems in place to do that. I'm guessing that because there's such a range of data available from different sources that siloed data is a big problem. I know it's a longstanding pain point and challenge for a lot of organizations especially when they're looking to create seamless customer experiences. Um, can you elaborate on the gravity of this issue and, and tell us a little bit about why it continues to plague business leaders year on year? You know, it feels like every year it gets worse rather than better. Hmm. Yeah, I, I have first-hand experience there, um, both as a practitioner and an advisor. And the story that I'll tell you is that um, as a practitioner, um, I, I worked here in Charlotte, North Carolina, um, at the headquarters of Lowe's Home Improvement, and wonderful experience in data engineering and data science. Um, but, but the challenge with customer data and, and it being siloed is that organizations have 
thought they were solving this for years and years and years. They've, they've spent millions of dollars on systems that can harness data and, and, and um, aggregate it, um, such as uh, you know, CRM platforms, uh, such as e-commerce platforms, and such as um, enterprise data warehouses, right? Millions and millions of dollars. Um, but what I've learned uh, from that experience as a practitioner um, where I was, uh, I was smart enough and foolish enough to build a CDP in-house is that if the only thing you do is to aggregate that customer data into a customer 360 or into an enterprise data warehouse, if that's all you do, you've created another silo. Right? So you thought you were de-siloing the data, but you've actually created another silo. And what I mean by that is that there's about 80 or 90% of an organization that doesn't know how to write SQL. And so if they can't access all that data that you just aggregated into that enterprise data warehouse or into that customer 360 platform, and you haven't provided them a friendly interface to access it, then you've just created another silo that 80 or 90% can't access. <laughs> so the whole point here is that organizations are now realizing the importance of user-friendly, self-service, democratized data. Does that make sense, Susan? It does. And, and that's what you're doing at Action IQ. You're making it nice and, and easy and, and usable for, for everybody, um, from what I can see. Now, I was going to ask next, what kind of valuable insight into consumer behavior and customer journeys can market marketeers even obtain if their company's data is de-siloed so we talked a little bit about de-siloing um earlier um is it a big challenge for them but what are the rewards oh sure uh, think about the the insights from being able to stitch customer interactions from across their journey you know if those interactions are stitched together you can glean insights such as what are the events that led up towards a, a form fill on your website? Or, or what are the events that led up to a, a positive customer experience versus a negative customer experience? What are, the, what are the preferred channels that a customer would prefer to interact with versus the channels that they don't respond to? What time of day are they more likely to engage and what time of day do they want to be left alone? Um, so the benefits of, of stitching together uh, this customer data into one profile or into one uh, chronological um, interaction history, um, inclusive of all the, the granular data, is highly beneficial. I, I read a statistic this morning um, that said that only 14% of organizations have successfully built a customer 360, right? So what I was just talking about, of, of aggregating all of that granular data into a chronological history, only 14%, right? Which is very low. But what's, what's just as important there is the other side of the coin, right? 82% desire that customer 360. Um, this study came out from Gartner, uh, my old teammates, um, just yesterday. So um, really illustrating the demand versus the number of organizations that have been successful in, in fulfilling that, uh, that desire. And with the de-siloed data, do you find that in different silos, the same thing can be named differently, uh, different terminologies used for the same thing? Does that cause a, a bit of an issue for them as well? Oh, absolutely. 
absolutely. Uh, different systems are implemented at different times. Um, and once a system is implemented, uh, the, the name that they're using for a given attribute um, may no longer be what the organization wants to be as the, the master uh, nomenclature. Um, so it can be confusing for organizations to bring this, these data points together and, and, uh, and, and not trust the data. And so ultimately what's important there is if, if the organization um, brings the data together but doesn't trust it because of, of governance and because of metadata issues, um, you need a system that can, that can help organize but also rename and, and, and provide more governance and, and metadata control over those attributes so that the trust is there and people want to use the data on a, on a daily basis. Well, I mean, it really sounds to me like customer data platforms are, are really significantly helping companies kind of get a, get hold of this, improve their visibility, acquire customer intelligence, um, and move closer towards that goal You know that we all look for is that ultimate single customer view, the single source of the truth. Um, so customer data platforms are, are really significantly helping companies to acquire this customer intelligence and move closer towards creating the, the ultimate goal of a single customer view. Touching on Action IQ's 2022 CDP Market Guide, what are the various use cases of CDPs and, and how exactly are they helping to power that customer experience strategy today? Mm, sure. Um the market guide um, gets a lot of a lot of attention and downloads, and and I'm excited by it because I think we've made it more digestible and and more um, more appealing this year than we ever have before. Um, now, what's interesting about this year and in, in the way that we've approached it is when it comes to use cases, we've broken it down into three. So the, the three major use cases are customer data management, customer intelligence, and customer experience. Right, so those are the three major buckets, and what we've done is we've we've classified vendors into those three buckets to help organizations get to a short list of whichever whichever uh, use case is most important for them today. So if they really care about customer data management, then the vendors in that group um, might be might be the ones that they would talk to. Now, what's what's unique here, right? Going a step further, is that. When organizations have, um, and I think there was a study a, a couple weeks ago, perhaps by the CDP Institute, if I remember correctly, but um, the whole point here is that when organizations have solely focused on customer data management, right, um, and, and they haven't prioritized the remaining two, which are customer intelligence and customer experience, they're finding that the ROI of the CDP deployment is not returning results right so they're not they're not getting ROI because they they haven't actioned on all of that data they haven't gleaned the intelligence and gleaned the insights and then orchestrated experiences that are seamless across channels because again if, if all you do is create the customer 360 then what's the ROI on that it's it's not it's not a tremendous amount so so I, th I think it was um, the customer data Platform Institute, or maybe it was Real Story Group, that that illustrated very well that organizations that have only done the first step are not getting an ROI. So that sounds to me like if there are people listening who already have a CDP, there is still an opportunity to increase the ROI if you're not covering all aspects of the data. Correct. 
And in terms of people, uh, clients, customers that are using CDPs, is does this span across a number of different industries? Oh yeah, yeah, um, and that's that's perhaps um, what's been most satisfactory for me. Um, having having watched this industry since. Uh, 2013, when I was on that plane ride back from a, a Teradata conference, and I, I, uh, I came across the idea of, of wanting to build a customer 360 because there there was no CDP at that time. But I began to realize that as I I talked to different organizations at, at conferences, and I said, "Hey, I, I've built this uh, this this new platform, and it's it's de-siloed all of our data," and and they said, "Well, I'm not in in retail like you are. I, I'm in I'm in healthcare." or I'm in insurance, or uh, you name the industry. And they all said, we need that. How did you do it? And, and I knew from that point onward, in, in that kind of 2013, now it was 2014 time period, that this technology was going to uh, be omnipresent, right? Every industry would need it. And, and we're seeing that today. Um, so not just the financial services, the travel and leisure, the retail, the media and entertainment. It's literally every industry, even into the ones that are that are laggards, right? The ones that are not known for prioritizing customer experience. These are the manufacturers. These are the uh, the, the healthcare providers. So they're getting into this space because they they know that there are upstart competitors that are starting to eat away at their market share. Think of the uh, think of the Teslas of the world. Um, think of the enormous quantity of of healthcare uh, startups uh, on the West Coast, and and same thing for the financial industry. So the the importance of customer data and harnessing it towards improving the seamless experience um, is is omnipresent. I mean, this this all sounds great. If there's there's organizations out there who are considering either building a CPD in house or licensing one from a vendor, you know, what's the best route for them? Which what's the trade offs between them, and should they consider one or the other, or or consider both? I'm smiling. Uh, you, you can't hear it <laughs> or you can't see it, but. Um, I'm smiling because um, you know this was me uh, back back as I was saying in that 2013 timeframe. But what's more important than that is that organizations today are treating customer data as a foundational asset. So um, IT teams are saying this is so important. We want to harness it. We want to be the ones in charge of it. Um, we want to put the governance and the security around it. Um, and I understand that. Um, in fact, I support it. Um, because I do believe that that customer data is um, a foundational asset. Um, what I would say as a strategy for those uh, who are ambitious is if you've already begun building your own kind of a customer 360 or, or a CDP in-house, that's great. That's great. And, and if, if you've already completed it, that's great too. What's important here is that organizations should be using a platform that allows them to optimize at the use case level. What I mean by that is that if the use case requires just customer data that uh, can be stored in a a, a big data platform or an enterprise data warehouse like like Snowflake, then use the data for that. Uh, Keep the data as it is within IT's Google BigQuery or keep it within Snowflake or, or whatever. Um, but if the use case requires different data points, um, perhaps real-time data points that uh, that cannot be ingested and processed 
um, through the in-house system, then a CDP that is vendor sourced that includes those real-time capabilities allows that use case to be optimized. It allows that use case to be possible. And so what we're seeing here in, in this space is that the vendors who offer a hybrid approach where the CDP can query data directly from your in-house enterprise data warehouse, or it can leverage data that is stored inside of the CDP, for example, real-time processing, the one that, the tools that can do both right in a hybrid fashion, those are the ones that allow the use cases to be optimized. And organizations should be focused on optimizing use cases, that they shouldn't be focused and optimizing totally towards it should be in-house or it should be vendor sourced. A hybrid approach is what is going to increase the experience the most for customers. That sounds great. Choosing the right CDP, breaking down those data silos, democratizing data access um, and enabling widespread personalization is a, is a mountainous job. So where should organizations begin and how should they go about this process? Actually, I think it's easier than people make it out to be. Um, there's, there's quite a lot of, um, there's quite a lot of, of back and forth here, um, but let's, let's make it really easy. Organizations, first off, need to gather stakeholders from different parts of the organization. For example, stakeholders that are engaging with the customers or own different experiences in different channels. These can be from marketing, advertising, sales, support, e-commerce, right? And, and what is important here is to identify where the friction is in your customers' experiences. If you can identify that friction, and it's very easy, buy some cookies, buy some donuts, get everybody in a room together where there's a whiteboard, um, and plot out customer journeys within given parts of the life cycle. So take the onboarding life cycle, take the acquisition life cycle, take the retention life cycle, take all these different stages of life, map them out and ask people, where's the friction? Where are customers upset with us? And once you can find out those points of friction, they turn into use cases that inform the technology or the CDP that you would use to solve it. So gathering people together, stakeholders from different departments, mapping out the journey, where the friction is, and then using those as criteria or as use cases to inform the technology you need. That's what we've seen be highest in terms of success rates for technology selection. That's great advice. Um, yeah, and I'll just finish here real quick by saying yeah. the opposite, right? Because I think it's important to say what not to do. <laughs> I'm smiling again, but organizations that approach technology selection in the opposite way, where they, they focus solely on uh, which vendors offer these features and which vendors offer these uh, capabilities and which vendors often offer these functionalities and don't focus on the use cases that they're trying to solve, those are the organizations that fail. Um, I, I think that there was a statistic a couple of years ago that said that um, not having sound use cases was the n number one contributor to a failed uh, technology deployment. I can imagine that. And I, I think a really great tip that you provided there was to get all the stakeholders involved because a lot of the time, a lot of them are often forgotten. Absolutely. In including, including IT. 
get them, yes. get them in the room because they need to understand the infrastructure and the computing and the storage capabilities that need to be supporting all of these difficult use cases, whether it's real-time capabilities, whether it's batch capabilities, whether it's analytic capabilities. Um, IT can bring expertise there that can save you a lot of headaches down the road. Wise advice. So this has been a great discussion. Um, I mean, I think the CDPs just sound fantastic um, and offer such a range of, of opportunities for a business. Um, to round up, can you share some real-world case studies of, of how you, as Action IQ, have helped a business or businesses solve these large enterprise data challenges um, so that teams are empowered to create a real, authentic customer experience? Yeah, I'd be happy to. There's one that comes to mind because it's it's a good story and and it's a a, a very big uh, organization. The uh, the customer that I'm thinking of is um, is CDW and, and they're CDW, pretty big. Uh, CDW is a a, a large um, you know billions of dollars organization in revenue. But what's unique about CDW um, uh, beyond you know you seeing them sponsor uh, golf tournaments and and so forth, um, CDW is um, is actually a B two B retail uh, organization, right? Um, and what's unique about them a step further is that um, they're a co op business model, right? So they are selling vendors um, products, uh, so. Dell and Microsoft, you name it, right? All of these uh, these vendors are are selling their products through CDW. The challenge here is that organizations uh, typically have slow and inefficient campaign processes, right? So uh, teams are using um, legacy technologies, um, you know, campaign management tools that were built for folks who knew how to write SQL, or um, and and so. The process of democratizing data and the process of of, of iterating on uh, targeting and iterating on audience selection and iterating on insights and reporting is is virtually impossible. And so, when we were talking at the very beginning of today about leaders are mandating best in class omni-channel experiences that are using data, um, CDW is a fantastic illustration of that. Um, going from very slow to very, very, very fast, um, where data is democratized. Um, and, and an example of this from a, a statistic here is that um, you know organizations like CDW are, are increasing their time to market by greater than 50%, right? So just enormous efficiency, enormous ability to innovate and iterate on on um, on audiences on uh, insights and and experiences using not just all of their own data but also predictive models to identify who are the the customers most likely to engage with us uh, with this particular uh, Dell product or Microsoft product um, and then doing it across a b2b, hierarchical data. Uh, so you've got uh, companies, you've got accounts, you've got buying groups, and being able to blend all of those together in one platform and segment audiences and determine affinities and the timing and channels to orchestrate these experiences out through. Uh, it's really impressive that that the organization can grow from being slow and and, and kind of down on their luck, uh, you know, to um, to very high speed and 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 happy. So Really, really excited to share that story. 
um, plenty of others, um, but that's amazing. Of- so, I mean, it sounds like you are saving uh, organizations so much time as well. So it's not just about getting it something done quicker, but it's you know the the time it's taking teams and res- terms of resources, etc. You're making everything more efficient. Sure, yeah, and and there was a uh, there's a, a statistic that I have burned into my memory from McKinsey <laughs> that, that illustrates the, the importance of this, right? So. McKinsey did some research and they said that it, it's not until the fourth iteration, so the, for example, the fourth iteration of a, of a targeted audience or the fourth iteration of an experience that you've created, it's not until that fourth iteration that you start to gain more than 20% of the value that you could ultimately achieve. So, you, so when you get to that fourth iteration, you're now getting 50 to 80% more value than you could before. So it, the whole point here is that if we decrease the friction in these processes, then organizations can be more iterative and more optimizing towards experiences that, that they're learning about as the new data comes, comes back in. Thank you so much for sharing your knowledge today. That's been really fascinating. Um, really great insight. Thank you for joining us on this podcast today. Um, and thank you to everyone listening as well um, for engaging with this episode. If you want to know more about what we've discussed, um, make sure you head on over to actioniq.com where you can find more information. Um, thank you very much. Thank you, Susan. Thank you. Thank you.